Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 15th March, 2020. This evening we are joined by Dr. Andrew Collins, who speaks to us this evening about stress in the Bible. Well, good evening, everybody. It's uh, lovely, uh, really is lovely to be back with you again, and, and has been lovely to be with you these few Sunday nights. Um, and I've really appreciated the, the fellowship. It's been good to have some conversations after uh, the meeting. That's the bit that I always enjoy, uh, I have to say, about coming uh, to different places. Always great to have fellowship, too, with Pastor Morrison and Mrs. Morrison. Uh, we've known each other a long time, uh, which is why he got my name wrong, uh, you'll notice. Um, my, David is my brother, okay, and... Uh, I, I couldn't resist because he's usually the one that's getting his own, his own back on you, you know, with, with the jokes and whatever. Um, so I'll be back for a fourth night. The Bible and forgetfulness will be the, the fourth <laughs> meeting. Um, he forgot to announce that one. No, it is. It's a pleasure, actually, to, to have fellowship again with Pastor Morrison. I've known him a very long time. He's been there with me since the beginning of my Christian journey. Uh, converted at 13 um, and then my brother my older brother David was converted a year later and Pastor Morrison was actually very instrumental in that conversion so um, at a human level under grace uh, we owe Pastor Morrison an awful lot and it's, it's wonderful and Mrs. Morrison too it's wonderful just to have fellowship and I think whenever someone's been with you on your Christian journey for that length of time, it's always good to have fellowship um, again. So I really appreciate uh, that uh, this evening. Well, we're here to think about stress. Uh, the Bible and stress. Uh, and life is full of pressures. Um, the boss uh, gives us unrealistic targets at work, perhaps. Uh, the family give us piles of washing and ironing. Uh, other people give you grief and headaches. Um, and, and sometimes it's the really big things, isn't it? It's the, it's the coronavirus. It's the, it's the threat of that, if you like, that carries a kind of a, a background underlying sense of stress for us. And yet, if we're honest, very often it's those wee things, isn't it? It's more the everyday things piling up that can get us stressed out. Jesus told us to expect it. Uh, he, he said, uh, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 16 and verse 33. In the world you're going to have tribulation. And that word that he uses there, it, it, it's not a word that we use in everyday conversation, tribulation. But actually it's a very much an everyday word. It, it means those things that, that pressurize you. Those demands that come in on top of you, those everyday pressures, you're going to face those, where do you go? You're going to have them, where will you turn? What will you do when the pressures build up? 
And that's what we're going to think about this evening. Just as we come to do that, I'm going to turn to um, a well-known passage in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn to that with me. And in fact, as you're turning to that, and this is where my jokes about forgetfulness come back to bite me, I have forgotten the clicker, actually. Is it down, sitting on the seat there? There you go. That'll teach me to make fun from the pulpit, won't it? Okay, Matthew chapter 11, then, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We will come back to those verses again uh, before we finish this evening. Let's ask first of all the question, what is stress? And stress, as you can see just uh, on the screen behind me, is really what happens, the effect upon us when the demands get too much, when those pressures, that tribulation that Jesus is talking about, when those demands that are coming at you get too much. It's greater than your ability to cope with it. This is your ability and those are the demands and the demands are greater. And when that happens, then your goals come under threat. What you want to get done, what you want to do, you're not able to do it. It comes under threat. The demands are too great. And so that sense of stress, if you like, is a response to that threat. This is where you'll have to duck. Um, Stress comes from a sense of conflict, a conflict between what's coming at you and what's coming out of you in terms of what you want and what you're trying to get done. That conflict between what's coming at you and what's coming out of you, that's what causes stress. And whenever that happens in your life, well, it feels a certain way because your whole nervous system comes under threat. And whenever your nervous system comes under threat, when you sense that there's a threat there, when the demands get too big and the nervous system comes under threat, then your, your whole body kicks into gear and gets ready for action. And your body starts to release adrenaline. And that's why stress feels the way it feels. Because this adrenaline, it starts to flow around your body. 
It, it increases your blood sugar so you have more energy. It makes your heart rate go so you're able to perform better. Uh, the blood flow to your muscles increases so you're more ready for action. Your pupils even dilate. Even the blood supply to your brain increases so you can think more clearly. Your body's getting ready for action. Okay, It's what we sometimes call that fight, flight, or fright reaction. It's down to the adrenaline. It's why you feel nerves. But it's your body getting ready to meet that threat, those demands that are coming at you. Well, that's okay for a while, but then soon your body can go into a different phase that the the scientists call uh, resistance. And then finally, if that doesn't uh, reduce after a while, then the body's resources begin to get depleted and you can go into this phase called exhaustion. And that's when the body's beginning to to break down a bit under the demand of this stress. We're prone in that exhaustion phase to getting illnesses, and it's why things like high blood pressure, heart disease, and stomach ulcers and so forth are associated with stress. So that's why stress feels the way it does. It's the body getting ready for action. It's all that adrenaline. It's why you feel those nerves and that tension around your body. But how does it affect your functioning and how you manage from day to day? Now, sorry, this will look a bit scientific. It's not really. It's just a a curve. Okay. And you'll see that on this side here, we've got your performance. So this is how well you're managing to get by and to perform from day to day. And along this side, we've got the demand. Okay, so these are the demands that you're facing. So over here then is low demand. Okay, this is when you're on holiday, on the beach. Uh, The waves are lapping gently at your feet. Okay, as you move along then demand is increasing. This is maybe sort of Monday morning going to work. There's a lot on your plate. Over here is, you know, those situations where, you know, you've got about four weeks of ironing uh, to do. Um, You're going for a job interview. Two of your four children have chicken pox and your mother-in-law is coming for tea that night. It's that kind of very high demand situation, okay? There's a lot going on, a lot of stress. Now, look at what happens, your performance as that demand increases. You'll see that actually down here, when the demand is quite low and you're on holiday, well, there's actually not much performance either. It's quite low as well. It's sometimes called the the drone zone. Let's take an example. We'll we'll call this lady Jane. Now, again, we're talking about forgetfulness. Keep an eye on me because uh, sometimes I start out in a talk calling her Jane and she becomes Joan and Jean and if I'm having a really bad night she turns out to be John. Um, You just... You can, you can listen out for that. But, but Jane's in this job where she's a secretary and there's not much demand. She's making tea, she's got a bit of photocopying to do and there's not much useful performance. And in fact, sometimes in that kind of situation, people can actually find that quite stressful itself. Um, you're under-stimulated almost in the role that you're in. You can be out of your mind with boredom. It's that kind of idea. A low-demand situation can itself be a bit of a cause of stress. 
And so actually, we all need a bit of demand to move into this, what we would call, healthy tension uh, part of the graph. And this is how we all function. We all need a bit of demand in our everyday life to help get some better performance. This is, this is when things are, are getting a bit more demanding, but it's, it's good. It keeps us on our toes. This is part of how God has made us. In other words, part of stress is just normal. It's okay to feel a bit of tension, okay to feel a bit of nerves. There's enough tension for the, per, for the person to feel focused. And so, for example, Jane in this job, maybe now she's got a bit more responsibility She's doing a bit of typing, she's answering calls, she's taking minutes at meetings. Yes, the, the demand has, has increased a bit, but, but it's okay. She's enjoying it. She's getting a bit of buzz and satisfaction uh, from the work. She's enjoying the challenge and the stimulation, the occasional new thing to do. Some stress is actually a good thing. But look at what happens as that demand continues. As the demand continues you reach this kind of, I suppose, what they sometimes call peak performance. And for Jane, let's say, for example, in Jane's case then, that maybe her boss realizes she's coping well in her work and uh, he decides to give her more to do. And this is where she's finding that the dictation and the photocopying are beginning to pile on top of her. She isn't able to stay on top of it. She's beginning to feel a bit overwhelmed. Uh, She seems to be disturbed by phone calls and she's getting short with the callers and uh, she's driving home in the evening and she's just thinking about her work all the time, what she's got to do next and she goes to bed at night and it's all churning over and then she gets in the next day and she's tired because she hasn't slept well, she's drinking more coffee to try and stay awake and all the time she's thinking, if I can just get a little more done then I'll get on top of it and it'll all feel good again. But of course, she's just getting more and more tired and she's not getting through things as as efficiently as she normally, which is entering this kind of fatigue phase. You can see the performance is going down. And as that demand then continues to um, increase, she can move into this zone here where we begin to get panic attacks, those bursts of anxiety, the heart thumping. It's because, of course, remember the adrenaline is just, there's been too much adrenaline. The heart's thumping, you're feeling nervous, you feel you can hardly get a breath. Sometimes people with those acute anxiety attacks, they feel that they're going to collapse or faint or something like that. And they're very alarming and very unpleasant things. And of course, these signs, the, the fatigue, reduced concentration, Um, the lack of energy, the disturbed sleep, and those um, anxiety attacks, they're they're all signs. Okay, It's as if your body is beginning to flash red lights and say, these are warning signs, the need is rest. Okay, But what do most of us do? Well, we try to keep pushing. Again, if I can just get on top of it, then it will all feel okay. And of course, the more that we try to push and get on top of things without making some changes, then of course we're more likely to push ourselves further down this, this curve. And we get into that ill health 
his own. It may get to a point where, where Jane is just struggling to keep going. Uh, and uh, she's tired all the time. She may slip into even a bit of depression, um, as we discussed the very first evening. Uh, the mood is low. She, her appetite's going down. Um, she feels hopeless. Her work is deteriorating. Other areas of her life are being affected, like her relationships. And eventually, sometimes people can can reach this point that we call burnout. Uh, emotional exhaustion, I think, is probably what's happening there. The emotions have just eventually gotten too exhausted and too too tired. Um, that point, really, where, where people feel they're just not getting through things at all, there can be a high sickness rate at work, um, uh, they're not a- able to keep on top of maybe household tasks. Um, a person in that, in that phase as well can find themselves even beginning to feel very cynical about their workplace. Um, and they, they uh, become defensive and fault-finding. And uh, it's interesting because if you've ever worked with someone like that, often they're just perceived as being a difficult colleague. But often what can be beneath that is that they themselves have uh, succumbed to some stress. And that's what's behind and underneath a lot of that negativity and criticism. And then sometimes people hit just a point of of what they call breakdown. Maybe Jane hits a morning where she just feels she can't get out of bed, paralyzed, almost, unable to face work, and her husband comes in and just finds her in a flood of tears in the bedroom. So that's how stress can affect our functioning. Now remember what we've said then already. Some stress is good. Okay, A certain level of stress is healthy and normal and good. But too much stress is bad, as we've seen. Don't ignore the warning signs. And then thirdly, if you see those warning signs, then you've got to take action. And that's what we're going to move on to think about in a moment. Just before we do that, let me just say that we all have different limits, okay? Uh, There are some people who seem to be able to cope with an awful lot of stress, and they seem to be able to manage with a lot of demand before things begin to go downhill. There are some of us who just aren't able to manage as much. Um, And that's okay because everyone has their own limit. God has made us differently. Um, Different personalities uh, succumb to stress and deal with stress in different ways. And God has made us all with different limits. Well... That's what stress is. How do we begin to to deal with this problem of stress? Uh, Just before we we move on to that, remember what stress is. Demands are are greater than our capacity, our ability to deal with it. Life changes can be a cause of stress. Different personalities, uh, sometimes people that have higher standards for themselves can be more prone to stress just because they, they place themselves under more pressure. And, of course, conflict with other people can be a major cause of stress for us. Well, how do we cope with it? How do we deal with it? And there are a number of ways. Uh, This is one of them. Uh, I'll read this out to you in case you can't uh, see it. It's an anti-stress kit. Number one, place on a firm surface. Number two, follow directions in circle. Number three, repeat until you are unstressed 
or become unconscious. Okay? And there are days, aren't there, when we would all uh, like to follow that uh, advice or like someone else to follow that advice, uh, someone else close to us. Okay, how do we manage stress then? Uh, we're going to think about it in, in broadly two groupings, ten questions which we'll run through quickly, uh, two groupings. Essentially there are two, broadly speaking, there are two things we can do to deal with stress. One is that um, we, can, we can focus on our ability to cope, okay, increasing our ability to cope. Or we can look at the situation and we can try to reduce the demands of the situation we're in. Okay, and we will look at first of all at that at that first group. They're reducing the demands of our situation. So, here are ten questions for stressed out saints. And just before we launch into the questions, I should say that um, the questions that are most relevant for the person uh, and the ways of dealing with their stress to some degree depend where you are on this curve. In other words, if you're kind of sitting round about here, usually you can do some things in the situation which will help to bring your stress back down to here, okay, um, so that it's in a more healthy place. However, if usually if someone has been over at this side of the, the stress curve for a while, usually you have to step out of the situation for a time just to be able to recover. Um, and certainly if you're, if you're down in this part of the curve, then stepping out of the situation is important. We'll come back to that in a moment. So, ten questions. The first few questions are about reducing the demands of the situation. How do we look at the situation? And importantly, even just to pause and ask the question, well, what is it that really is going on here? What is it that needs to change? identifying the source of the stress for us. What is it I'm anxious about? What is it that I'm aiming for? What is that goal that I'm feeling is threatened by all these demands that are coming at me? What is it that I'm wanting to get to that the demands are preventing? So Jane, for example, might need to sit down and think about why she's feeling the way she's feeling. What is it that's going on here? Is it just that there's too much work coming her way and she has to go and speak to her boss about the, the, uh, the, the, the level of stuff that's coming at her? If home is stressful, does the situation there need to change? Does husband or wife need to change their schedule? Some responsibilities need to be dropped. If someone has been off work because of a work-related stress, then often uh, we would advise them that changes need to be made in that situation before the person returns back into it. Which just in a way makes sense, because if the person goes straight back into the very situation and demands that were causing the problem in the first place, well then it's likely that the whole thing could replay. So just taking that step back and asking what is it that really needs to change here can be helpful. Secondly then, the question, have I prioritized? Remember, we're thinking about all those demands and the situation that are coming at me. And the question then can be, well, have I prioritized? It's helpful if we're feeling overwhelmed by too much coming at us. We try to work out what's most important. And, and we can do that in a helpful, simple way. That's a, a 
picture of my secretary at Hollywell on a quiet day. Um, and we can, we can think about the things then that we need to prioritize. Make a list. Get all those demands down on paper. Make a list of them. Think about all of those things that are coming at you that are making you feel so stressed. And then begin to ask two simple questions. What are the things that are urgent? What needs done now, straight away? Um, and then what's important? It maybe doesn't need to be done straight away, but if it's not done at some point, then it's going to have some kind of consequence. What's important? You could add to that, what does God want me to do? What are his priorities? Can I prayerfully consider those? Seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness in a situation. That's a, that's a priority statement, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as we do that then, as we think about well, what's urgent and what's important then, the things you'll see there that are both urgent and important, those are the things we want to try and, and do. Um, there are some things that, that do need done now, but it may not need me to do them. We delegate, okay? That's what I do with cutting the grass. Delegate it, okay? Um, there are some things then that are, that are not urgent. They don't need to be done now, but they are important. And those things I, I plan, okay? I, I, I put them in the diary for some stage later down the line. And then, to be quite honest, you know, when you look at your life and you think about priorities and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, there are probably a whole load of things that you'll never ever do or get done. And those are things that we can, that we can leave. Helpful, as I say, um, in situations like in Jane's case, maybe just snowed under with her tasks. How does she begin to work through them all? Prioritizing can help. It can help in a few other ways. It can, it can bring a sense of control into a situation that feels overwhelming uh, to us. It can also help in that it... It, it can help us to learn to say no to things, which is something, of course, that, that we can sometimes find difficult. We don't like to disappoint people. Uh, maybe we don't like to say no because we feel the need to help. Or maybe, actually, it, it, it's part of us being afraid of what people will think if we say no, if we don't agree to, to do something. I often think of, of our Lord. You know, you read, don't you, through the Gospels of how frequently in his ministry crowds were pressing in on him. People, I'm sure, wanting healing and counsel and blessing. Do you think he ever had to say no? I'm sure at some point, I mean, there, there are occasions, weren't there, when he got offside with his disciples and he went away off into the wilderness. There must have been at points where he had to say, no, not this evening, um, or not at this stage. Now, some of you might say, um, but doesn't God expect some sacrifice? Um, and yes, that is true. Le learning to say no isn't about 
being selfish. And, and there's a risk, isn't there, that I prioritize and think, well, well, this is what I want to get done. And it becomes a very self-focused exercise. But when you think about it, if, if we know that stress can cause ill health and that our bodies can come under too much stress, then actually there is a case for ensuring that, that you're looking after yourself enough to be able to help and to love and to serve others. One way that I've heard it put is that in Romans 12, Paul calls us to be a living sacrifice, not a burnt-out, half-dead sacrifice. We're to be a living sacrifice. And so I think there are good arguments for, for prioritizing according to what the Lord would, would have us to do, which may mean then saying no to certain things. So prioritization. Third question then very quickly is, have I managed my time? If you've prioritized and looked at the things that the Lord would have you do, well then you've got a, a timetable, a diary, a calendar. Redeem the time, Paul tells us in Ephesians, because the days are evil. I wonder, do you ever pause to think about how you are using your moments and using your hours and using those chunks, chunks of, of time in your, in your day and in your week? What are your, your priorities? What are you fitting into these various slots in your week? And are you making sure that you, you put in rest, of course, where that is needed? Are you leaving enough time for, for breaks and for uh, meals and, and so forth? Is your timetable achievable? Is it flexible? Is it realistic? Life doesn't always work according to plan, and so there's got to be that flexibility and adaptability. But managing your time is an important part of also managing your stress. And then fourthly, can others help? I mentioned about delegation. Uh, bearing one another's burdens. It's part of what, again, Paul calls us to in, in Galatians. Uh, can someone else help? We, we need each other. Um, it's part of why we're, we're called into these gatherings as the body of Christ. And at times of stress, then, the understanding and the support and the help of others can be so important. Wonderful opportunity for us to, to minister to one another. And sometimes it's it's an issue of humility, isn't it, on our own part? Um, will I ask for help? Will I admit that I'm not able to do this on my own? Okay, next three questions then um, are about our capacity. We've, we've looked at trying to reduce the demands of the situation, prioritizing and managing time and so on. But what about our own capacity to be able to deal with stress? How can we we look at that. Well, the first question there is, do I need a break? I mentioned how at certain points on that curve we need to think about taking a step out of our, our job, for example. Um, rest. Rest is such an important thing. The importance even of rest periods during your day. The tea break at work, actually, why is it there? It's, it's actually there for a very important reason. It can help to sustain you during the day. It can help to kind of bring you down that curve just that little bit. Uh, so don't underestimate the importance of that. Sleep, uh, another aspect of our, of our rest. Uh, Psalm 127, he gives his beloved sleep. And do we, do we Receive that gift of God to his children. 
Sometimes sleep can be an issue of faith. Will I, will I give up on my own efforts to get on top of something and just take that rest and, and go to bed? What's your Sunday like? God has prescribed us this day of rest in seven, the Sabbath. And back in the Old Testament, it was a reminder to those Old Testament saints of how God had set them free from their slavery, uh, that God was going to be giving them rest. They were redeemed. And I sometimes think that we need to cover, recover this idea of rest uh, as part of our worship of this God in whom we rest, the God of rest. There's a sense in which resting is part of our, our worship of him. So some thoughts about resting and do I need a break. Another question then is, um, should I see a doctor? Uh, remember I said that down that further side of the, of the curve where there's ill health and so forth, important um, if you're noticing any of those physical symptoms or any symptoms of depression at all, that you go and see a doctor. Sometimes actually with stress, an antidepressant can be helpful if you're noticing those physical symptoms. And then number seven, an important question uh, when we're looking at our own capacity in stress is, am I cut out for what I'm doing? It's good for us to get to, to know ourselves, to, to see where we're at on that curve, recognizing the symptoms. When do I need rest? Managing the resources that God has given you. And looking at the, the situation you're in and asking yourself, am I stressed here because maybe I don't quite have the abilities or the gifts or the capacities for this? Maybe I need some more training, some more experience, some extra skills, or maybe I need to think about a change in direction. Um, although I would say that if someone's, again, maybe off work because of stress, always good to try and just let the the stress begin to reduce a little bit before making big decisions because sometimes we see things a little bit differently when we're feeling a bit better. Now, um, and then of course, uh, you've looked at your situation, you've looked at yourself, you've made some changes, important to go for it. And as it says in the wee uh, notice there, if plan A didn't work, uh, Stay cool, the alphabet has 25 more letters, okay? Um, there are dangers in the kind of things that we've already been talking about this evening. And a lot of the, the stuff we've already talked about is fairly standard advice about managing stress. If you went and Googled stress management, you'd, you'd find those kinds of, of questions and bits and pieces of advice uh, readily available. But there's a risk with them. The risk is that you could go off and timetable and prioritize and rest and, and try to make your work more manageable. And the goal becomes trying to, to manage your work. That becomes central. Or you could take the advice we've just thought about and go off and think, right, I need holidays, I need a rest. And then your rest becomes the central thing. And, and the problem with both of those approaches is that 
One becomes work-centered and the other becomes rest-centered or or me-centered. And we need to think about our hearts in all of this. We need to think about what's happening spiritually. What is it that in the midst of this stress I'm really working and living for? What's it saying about what my heart is really going after? What's important to you? What do you worship? And that brings us into these, what I would call the the deeper issues, the heart issues. And question eight there then, how are you seeing? How are you seeing in the midst of this stress? How do you see the demands that are coming at you. When the work piles in, where does that come from? When the car won't start on your way to the doctor's appointment, where does all of that come from? Now, you could say in Jane's case that it was just because she'd taken on too much. But ultimately, who is behind it? Well, it's, it's God. A God who works all things according to to his plan, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. A God who's wise, a God who's good, a God who knows what's best. And it's important in these times of stress that we take that step back and see God in the picture, that we begin to see a purpose in everything that's happening to us and these demands that are coming at us. Because it's one of the things about stress Because in stress, as I keep doing with my hands here, the demands just seem to be so big and they seem to fill the picture. The demands seem big and God seems small. The threat seems big and God seems small. And one of the aims of rest is to be able to take a step back and to begin to see a God who is bigger than the demands whatever they are, bigger than the people, whoever they are, bigger than the threat, whatever it is, and not only bigger and stronger and more powerful and in control, but a God who in the midst of this is with you and for you, who spared not his only son for you, How will he not with him freely give you all things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us? And what can separate us from the love of God? And wow, isn't that a truth in the midst of stress? And isn't isn't that a truth in the midst of coronavirus? How do we see How do we see the demands that are coming at us? The next question here is, well, well, what does all of this say about my, my goals and my desires, about my heart, about what my heart wants? Because we do have a part to play. What are my, my goals in life? What am I aiming for? What's important to me? For Jane, you see, you could have said maybe for Jane what was important to her was the the goal of promotion or earning more money for that holiday or or just wanting to, to please others in the workplace and not say no to anybody because she wanted to be well thought of. And all of that was saying something about Jane's heart. I wonder what your motivation 
uh, in your work and in your life is. There can be a number of things. Here are some of them. Um, I need to prove myself. Is it that from your work or whatever you do, you, you get a, some sense of worth and identity and meaning and purpose that you need to prove yourself in this, and that's what's driving you. Maybe even underneath that, there's a sense of having to, to earn something, to gain some approval from God. If I'm not good enough at this, then God will not bless me, or trying to pay God back uh, for something in other words, is it all about your performance? I need to prove myself. I don't like to say no. We've thought a little bit about that already, wanting to, to please other people. And, and the Bible talks about that as a, as a kind of a fear, a fear of displeasing people, a fear of saying no, a fear of man, which we need to think about in terms of fear of God then. Are we worried that things are going to get out of control Big risk with all of the advice I've just given you this evening. You know, you go off and you prioritize and you get everything into the diary and your time management. And you think that it's all under your control when ultimately all of our efforts in the midst of that, our trust in the midst of them must be in God. Maybe your motivation is that you get a buzz from what you do. Maybe in some people's work it's a sense of a challenge or excitement. Maybe almost leading on from that, it's that it helps you get away from other things that are harder in life. You like to be busy. Uh, you like to have everything on and you like to have that sense of a bit of stress because it, it, it maybe keeps you away from difficult things in, in life that you don't really want to face. Or maybe there's a sense in which you use that, those stressful situations as some kind of false refuge, escaping away. You get a buzz from things. Maybe what's driving you is the, is the income, um, that uh, sense of, of uh, depending on that income, trusting in that, uh, that sense of having to, to keep up that lifestyle. Or being needed can be another um, motivation. Or even something that's good, like wanting to make a difference and wanting to help others, but it can become a ruling motivation, which becomes too much. What's ruling your heart in the midst of this? Is it, as we said earlier, to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? So how do you see the demands that are coming at you? What does this say about your heart? And then finally, where can I find true rest? When you think about it, all of the, um, all of the various strategies that we've talked about this evening have been Ways of trying to find rest. And where can we find that ultimate rest and relief in a stressful world? Well, the answer is found in a person. A modest, unassuming man, the kind of man in whose presence you would have been able to relax. Approachable, down to earth, a restful man. He had the answer, and let me quote again, what he said. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The man's name, of course, was Jesus, and when he spoke these words, there is one picture that would have jumped straight into 
the hearers' minds. It would have been the image of cows, okay? Big cows, coupled together with a yoke plowing in a field. And the yoke, of course, was that, was that wooden bar that went across the necks of these animals so that they could be attached and work together uh, efficiently. And it was a picture to these people. Jesus used that image of the yoke as a picture to these people of their lives, the heaviness, the grind, the toil, the labor, the pressure, the strain, the weight, the sweat, the tiredness, the exhaustion, a yoke that they were under, but also a picture of their hearts, laboring, weighed down, not resting, maybe weighed down with guilt, not right with God, a yoke. And what does he say to them? Jesus says to these hearers, I will give you rest. Here they are, they're weary, they're burdened with this life, and Jesus comes along and offers them relief, exactly what they need. And the picture that he gives them of this yoke is another animal coming alongside, there you are, one of these animals underneath the yoke and another animal coming alongside and so helping to lift the yoke off that first animal, that animal that's weary and under pressure, so that the yoke is lifted, the weight is lifted, and suddenly this this cow, this animal, is able to just stop and rest and recover and collect its strength again. And Jesus says, this is what I will do. I will give you rest. Stopping, ceasing from work, recovering, collecting strength again, giving refreshment, reviving, reinvigorating, leaving us in a quiet, calm, restful place in ourselves. How? How does this happen? Well, he told us there in verse 29 of Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me, he said in verse 28. Come to me. We're to come to Jesus when we're weighed down. The idea is that you come to him, you're near to him, you stay close to him. And remember the image of that yoke again. The closer that the weaker animal is to the stronger animal, then the more light the burden will be. If that weaker animal either begins to lag behind or runs ahead or moves away, then the the weight of the yoke was going to come down heavier. But the burden was lightest whenever the weaker animal was closer to the stronger one. Come to me. I'm with you, says Jesus. I'm beside you. Come to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. It's an amazing, amazing words. I'll take your yoke, your weight, your burden, he says. I'll take your sins and your guilt and even all those wrong reasons you have for being far too busy and weighed down. I'll take all of that yoke And he says, you have my yoke. Take my yoke. 
Now, what was Jesus' yoke? Jesus' yoke was his saving work. Jesus' yoke was, I've done it all for you. Everything you need, I've done it, he says. I've lived the perfect life you could never live. I've died the death you should have died. I've done it all, Jesus says. That's my yoke. Here, take it. And it it means that with God, when we take that yoke, we have nothing left to prove. We have nothing left to, to earn. There's no one you have to please You don't have to be in control anymore because God is and you've taken that yoke. I've done all the hard work, Jesus says. That's my yoke here. You have a rest. It's amazing. Jesus' yoke is not only his saving work. Jesus' yoke is also his sovereignty, his lordship, his care. He is king. He's lord over all. His sovereignty over every detail of your life every single day. His care and sovereignty over every virus throughout this world. That's his yoke. And we just have to, to, to take it by faith. We, we, we carry that yoke that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior and has done everything for me and is doing everything for me and will do everything for me. And we get to take that and to carry it with us every day. That's what it means to take Jesus' yoke. And then he goes on, learn of me. We get, we get to learn of him. He is gentle and meek and lowly in heart. What does that mean? When it says he's gentle or meek, it means that he he accepts whatever God deals him as good. He doesn't resist. He doesn't dispute. He's he's gentle in in response to everything that happens to him because he's trusting in God's goodness and control in the situation. You can see that as we take Jesus' yoke of his care upon us, then we get to follow in that kind of gentle and meekness and to live that out. He's lowly in heart. He's the heart of a slave. That humility that's able to say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what's important to me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's certainly not saying that as a Christian you'll never face stress. I think we've been honest about that this evening. You still have a yoke. But as Christians, Jesus then gives us his Yoke, which is easy and light. He lifts away the burden of our guilt. He relieves the pressure of our sins. And we can face the strains and stresses of this life, knowing a rest and a relief that this world can never give us. Let's pray.